Welcome into the Cougar Tailgate, where BYU fandom lives. Here's your host, Cole Wissinger. What's up, Cougar fans? Happy late Halloween. Happy November, I guess. But most importantly, happy rivalry week. Today, we are not only going to take a look into the opponent like we always do in the rivalry with Utah State, but we'll also venture out a bit and take a quick glance at some rivalry traditions across college football. But before we get carried away into all that, we will do what we always do and take a look back at BYU's last game. Now, we had a bye just last week, so uh, maybe you forgot what that Boise State game was like. Maybe this will jog you more. It's a give to Hefo. It's a flea flicker and a throw to Bushman. It's complete and another touchdown! 39-yard score on the reverse flea flicker. BYU breaking out the trick plays. I love it. The win over the 14th-ranked Broncos was BYU's second over a ranked team at home this season, and it snapped a three-game losing streak for the Cougars. The Broncos opened the scoring that day with a 12-yard touchdown run by C.T. Thomas on the opening drive of the game. The Cougars responded quickly, though, with a long touchdown drive of their own to open it up. BYU converted multiple third and longs on the 78-yard drive as they methodically worked down the field before Lopini Katoa was able to finish it off by falling into the end zone from the four-yard line. Both offenses looked to be rolling after their opening drives, and it looked like there was potential for a good old-fashioned shootout. But the next handful of drives for both teams would prove fruitless, and no more points went up on the scoreboard until the waning seconds of the half when a 38-yard field goal gave Boise State a 10-7 lead heading into the locker room. But then, on the opening drive of the second half... ...left Finau. Finau's got room to run. Finau second level, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20. Things open up, and there he goes! 10-5 touchdown! Sione Finau's touchdown gave the Cougs their first lead of the night at 14-10, and it was a career night for the freshman running back, who would end up with 89 yards on the ground and that touchdown. The Finau touchdown sparked a big quarter for the Cougars, possibly their best of the whole season. Just under five minutes left here in the third, the Cougars went for it on fourth and one from the Boise State 27-yard line. Quarterback Baylor Romney faked a QB sneak, dropped back, and hit a wide-open Matt Bushman, who coasted into the end zone to extend BYU's lead to 11 points. BYU won done there. Jackson Kafusi picked off Boise State's quarterback Chase Cord with under four minutes left, and on their second play of that drive, BYU pulled another rabbit out of the hat with a reverse flea flicker that gave Bushman his second touchdown on the second trick play of the game, extending the Cougars' lead to 18 points. BYU outscored Boise State 21-0 in that third quarter. Cougars struggled a bit in the fourth. They allowed Boise State to get back in the game a little bit. They were only clinging to a three-point lead at about the two-minute mark to go. BYU was facing a fourth and inches from their own 34 in Boise State field goal range if they turned it over here. But Sataki rolled the dice, sent out that old scrum package that we've seen before, featuring Kairos Tonga and a unit full of guys with the sole purpose to just push forward one yard. And they got it done. Austin Kofensis took the ball and leaped over the pile, getting the Cougs the one yard they needed to finish off the game. 
Star performers for the day included Matt Bushman and those two touchdowns. He had five total receptions for 101 yards, and he was named nationally the John Mackey tight end of the week. And third-string freshman quarterback Baylor Romney took care of business as well, throwing for 221 yards, two touchdowns, and by the way, no interceptions on a cold and wet night in Provo. The Cougs scraped by at the end, 28-25. It's their third win on the season, and by the way, all three wins by exactly three points. Uh, it's been a rough couple weeks before this game, and so, uh, you know, we had to take our licks a little bit, but we had to keep trusting them. And, and there, there, were, uh, there were some mistakes that were made, obviously, in, in the previous games, and, and you just can't get them back other than learn. And these guys are a resilient group, you know, and so whenever their back's against the wall, they respond the right way, and, and uh, we're going to have that approach every week. And so we, we're going to work really hard next week and find a way to get better. The Aggies will be looking to defend home turf and beat BYU for the third consecutive season. Utah State's had a bit of an up-and-down season so far, and they're currently sitting at 4-3. and three. Two of those losses were to ranked Power 5 conference teams. BYU knows a little bit about playing a tough schedule, including a loss to the number one ranked LSU Tigers. No shame there. But their loss last week has a few Aggie fans scratching their head, a 31-7 defeat at the hands of the Air Force Falcons. Air Force's run-heavy offense dominated the game with 448 total yards on the ground and allowed the Falcons to hold on to the ball. Their time of possession was three times what Utah State had. It's nuts. They had it for 45 minutes. Utah State only was on offense for 14 minutes of the entire game. After being shut out in the first half, a touchdown early in the third quarter looked like it was getting Utah State back in the game, get that offense rolling again, but they just never got into momentum. The Aggies only mustered 128 total yards offense on the day, and it was a disappointing first conference loss for the Aggies as well in Mountain West play. And they will be looking to take out some of that frustration on an old familiar foe against BYU. When we return on the Cougar Tailgate, we are talking rivalries all day. Makes sense with the Utah State matchup and all. But immediately when we get back, we're taking a look at how the Aggies' season has gone so far and how they are preparing for BYU. Don't go anywhere. Utah Aggies. Yup, welcome back to the Cougar Tailgate. I'm Cole Wissinger, and the opposing team fight song means it is time to get to know who BYU plays this week. Normally, we get the sights, sounds, and smells from the away venue. If I ever make a trip to Toledo or Knoxville or Tampa, Florida, I now know just where to to eat, at least, in all those college towns. But today, the Cougs are trekking all the way up to Logan, Utah. It's a two-hour drive. 
I'm going to assume they still have Cafe Rio up there. Other Utah things. What our two schools might lack in diversity, they make up for in familiarity. And we are going to put a focus on the rivalry in just a moment. But before that, I've got Trent Wood, USU football beat reporter for the Deseret News, on the line to get us updated on how the Aggies have been doing this season so far. So so first things first, what do BYU fans need to know about this Utah State squad to face off with later today? That is a, it's a good question, and I think Utah State fans have the same question about their team. It, this is a very up-and-down Utah State team. They started the year really, really well. They were one of the best teams on offense in the country, and then things have kind of slowed down as the year's gone on. And so I don't think a lot of people know exactly who these Aggies are, just kind of they're similar to BYU in the sense you don't really know what type of team you're going to get week to week. Yeah, it seems to change depending on the opponent. BYU also had a couple really close games to some, you know, Power 5 teams, and then you drop a couple you don't think that they should. So Utah State kind of in the same boat so far? Mostly. They had a really close game against Wake Forest to start the year, a game they should have won, to be honest. They were the better team throughout that game, and it was at Wake Forest. Mm. But then they went to LSU, and LSU is the number one team in the country, and they didn't stand a chance in that game. And then just most recently they they were – Handled pretty convincingly by Air Force. Air Force is really good this year, but so they've they've been close in all their games except for two of the losses were blowout losses. So what are what are some of the names that we're going to hear the the play by play guys and the stadium announcers say? Who are the guys we need to be familiar with for Utah State? Starting if I if I could lead you with the quarterback. <laughs> of course, he, he's the one that everybody talks about anyway. Okay, um, so it's it's Jordan Love. And he, entering the year, he was a dark horse contender for the Heisman Trophy. There was a Heisman campaign for him. A lot of people thought he was going to have a chance. Um, NFL scouts have talked about him as a first-round draft pick. Top three quarterback taken. That's kind of dropped off a little bit. He hasn't, he hasn't played as great this season as he did maybe last year. But you'll hear Jordan Love's name over and over and over again because he is the, he is the face of this team. He is the guy that everybody thinks about when they think about Utah State football right now it's all Jordan Love and then who are some of the other playmakers that BYU should be worried about I mean especially BYU kind of has a rough run defense I don't know if you've heard (laughs) yeah Um, but what are what are some of the other names either on offense defense uh, for Utah State this year so on offense and we'll start with the the running back that's where BYU fans are probably the most concerned Utah State has a basically a two running back system they have two guys they like to go to one senior is Gerald Bright. He's from Pensacola, Florida, and he's he's been solid for them all year. He had one game this year where he ran for 179 yards and a touchdown, so he's he's definitely a good running back. And then with him, they have another guy, Jalen Warren, who is an East High alum. He won Mr. Football for the state of Utah out of high school right. and then went to Snow College and then transferred to Utah State. So the two of them have been pretty good this year. Jalen Warren's been hurt most of the year, which is unfortunate, but he's back in the lineup, and so BYU fans should expect to see the two of them carrying the ball. Um, on offense, additionally, you have a wide receiver in C.O.C. Mariner, who's a Utah grad transfer, so he uh, definitely is familiar with BYU. Mm-hmm. When he was deciding which school to go to it basic, to transfer from Utah, it was basically Utah State and BYU. BYU, because 
he knows Aaron Roderick and he likes Aaron Roderick and he likes BYU. And then he chose Utah State because he likes Coach Gary Anderson a little bit more. But he's been the number one target in the passing game. He's a big, tall, long receiver who stretches the field. Jordan Love loves to throw the ball to him on the sidelines. He's a guy that you'll see catch a few passes. On defense, there's some names that people have probably heard too, one of which is linebacker David Woodward. He is a Chuck Bednarik Award semifinalist this year. He's one of the best linebackers in the country. He leads the country in tackles this year. He had a 24-tackle game against Wake Forest. He's the, he's the name on that defense. Say that one more time. 24 tackles. He in had a single 24 game. tackles in a single game, and he's had 10 or more tackles in five games this year. He's a tackling machine. That's that's the guy that I'm playing on Madden normally is running all over the place and just trying to do everything. That's awesome. Yep, that's what he does. He's just super instinctual and is the tackler on almost every single play. All right, you mentioned um, you mentioned the coach Gary Anderson. Um, little familiarity there, and, and honestly, there's familiarity between him and BYU's head coach Kalani Sataki as well. They've had a history. Do you know uh, a little bit of that and what Gary Anderson is kind of bringing to this Utah State squad? Yeah, I mean, Gary Anderson and Kalani go way back. Kalani was his defensive coordinator when Gary Anderson went to Oregon State to be the head coach there. They coached together at Utah. They've known each other for a long time, came up under that Kyle Whittingham coaching tree. Mm-hmm. Um, so the familiarity is definitely there. I know that they, they talk to each other once a week, not this week because of the game, but <laughs> at other weeks they call each other once a week and they talk, just talk football and talk life. They're They're close friends and close coaches. So it's interesting that they'll go – head-to-head. It's a similar thing to when BYU plays Utah and Kyle Whittingham and Kalani Sataki. Um, Gary Anderson, he's, it's interesting because this is his second go-around at Utah State. He was there almost a decade ago now and kind of revitalized Utah State. And then he left to take a bigger job at Wisconsin and then went from Wisconsin to Oregon State. And things just kind of didn't pan out for him. And so then he found his way back to Utah State. People love him there. Like, that is the one thing that you get immediately when you step on that campus. People love Gary Anderson. The players love Gary Anderson. They talk about it all the time, how much they love Gary Anderson. He's a defensive-minded coach, similar to Kalani in that way. He, he loves to coach the defensive linemen. That's his thing. That's what he loves to do, and he loves good defense. And so he's, he's kind of beloved in Logan right now. And is is he more of the hands-off or hands-on kind of head coach? Because sometimes when you get the D coordinators, right, they have their system, but then when they get promoted, they let other things go on around, you know, underneath them. Um, what's his role been for Utah State? That's an interesting question because it's changed. <laughs> um, when it started, when he started the year, he definitely was more of the hands-off head coach. He He basically was the defensive tackles coach and then, the head coach. And so he let all the coordinators and assistant coaches do what they wanted. And he would just kind of overview it. And then he focused on the defensive tackles, but because Utah state kind of struggled in its last four or so games, he earlier this week, he said, I'm going to take a more hands-on approach across the team. And so he's kind of bouncing from position group to position group, trying to find a way to help Utah state improve. So um, we'll let you do a little editorializing since you're a newspaper man. Do you think that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing here? Um, I mean, it remains to be seen for sure. In my opinion, I don't know. They've really, especially on offense, Utah State has really struggled for the past four games. Like, really, really, really struggled. Mm-hmm. And so having a different viewpoint and a different mindset come into that room 
come into the offense and kind of say, hey, guys, this is what we need to do. I think that could be beneficial just because they haven't, what they've been doing has not been working, and it drastically happened where at the beginning of the year they were top five in the country in a lot of offensive statistics, and now they're bottom 100 in most of those statistics just because it flipped so dramatically. So I don't see it being super impact, like harmfully impactful on the mm-hmm. offensive side. Special teams, he says he wants to get in, and I think that's more of a mistake because Utah State special teams have been great this year. They have a kick returner who leads the country in kick returns for touchdowns. He's the defending kick returner of the year in college football, and they have a kicker who's one of the best kickers in the country. So I don't know what he's going to do in special teams so much, but I can see him helping on offense just by bringing a different perspective. So just before we go, I think one of the needed changes as well might be a trip back to Maverick Stadium in Logan, Utah, because Utah State has been fantastic there. Um, they're riding a 10-game home winning streak. You're up there. I, they put you in the press box uh, whenever you're... They do. That's they awesome. Do. So, so it's nice and, nice and warm up there. <laughs> that's And that'll be good because it's gotten a little chilly here in the state of Utah. And as we go north, it's a little bit worse. But what's, what is that vibe like? What's so different? about Maverick Stadium where Utah State finds those wins that they haven't been finding on the road? Well, one thing, and you just mentioned it, is the weather. It's cold and it's not comfortable for most teams that come to visit, but Utah State plays in that. They practice in that, and so they're used to that type of thing. They might not love it. Um, The running back, Gerald Bright, who's from Florida earlier this week, talked about he, he does not enjoy when the cold weather comes, but then when he gets on the field, he's fine and he's used to it. So I think that plays into it. Also, Maverick Stadium is really, I'm not going to say small, but it's very condensed. And it's very, everybody's close to the field. And it's this, the feel of the stadium is just everybody's right there. And it feels like you're in this small town and the whole small town is there in the stadium. And the students show up and they are loud and they are noisy. And I think all of it kind of just plays together that it's hard to go in there and take on a team that's comfortable there and they have such good support. And that's what college football is all about. Trent, just hold on for just one moment. We're going to take a quick break here on the Cougar Tailgate. But when we come back, Trent Wood will be joined by one of his colleagues there at the Deseret News. Um, The guy covering the BYU side, though, we are going to go into the rivalry when we come back. just going to be a slant route you know one of those quick hitches that everybody likes to throw on first down against BYU Kyle softened up a little bit got up in the air just stuck in his hands BYU versus Utah State circa 2013 a little blast from the past for you today here on the Cougar Tailgate thanks to Greg Rubel and Mark Lyons I missed that voice on the call 2013's matchup ended in victory for the Cougs, helped in great part by that turnover caused by Kyle Van Noy. Yep, before he was a boogeyman terrorizing the NFL on the undefeated Patriots, he was causing havoc in this rivalry, and it's the rivalry that we want to focus on now. And even a little rivalry maybe at the workplace. We've been getting caught up on the state of Utah State football this year with Trent Wood, a writer for the Deseret News. Now joining us on the program is one of his colleagues 
Jay Drew covers the BYU side of things for the Des News. Welcome into the Cougar Tailgate, Jay. Great. Thanks for having me on today. And welcome back on, Trent. I'm glad to be here. Okay, so Jay, I'm going to direct the first question here to you. From a BYU side, what does this rivalry mean to the Cougars this year specifically? Well, I think it means quite a lot, uh, if only because Utah State has won the last two games. Um, They're a legitimate rival now. There's no question about it. In the past, maybe there was some question whether Utah State was competitive and could be considered a rival, but those days are long gone. Probably started to leave when Gary Anderson took over his first stint there in Logan. So, yeah, everything points that BYU calls this a rivalry. There's a plaque in Coach Kalani Sataki's office that basically lists BYU's rivals, says beat the rivals is one of the goals. Mm -hmm. And the rivals are Utah, Boise State, and Utah State. So, Absolutely, it's a rivalry, and it means a ton to the Cougars this year because they're trying to get bowl eligible and also because Utah State has won the last two. Mm-hmm. And Kalani's had a rough time with those rivals. He's one and one so far this year, which is good news. Yeah, he's uh, he's one and one this year, but I think he's 2-10 and ten, uh, overall mm-hmm. um, it, it, with uh, with. You know, one win against Utah State and one win against Boise State. So he's uh, he's got a losing record against Utah State, at one and two, as we already mentioned, and he's lost uh, something like six straight in-state games, um, four to Utah and two to Utah State. So um, any way you look at it, it's a huge game for Coach Kalani Satake and his future and. Uh, all other aspects, and including recruiting, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a minute. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just before that, Trent, what's the vibe when you get to talk to the Utah State folks? Like Jay said, this used to be kind of the little brother in the rivalry, but that script has flipped just very recently. Yeah, for sure, and Utah State cares. This rivalry means a lot. A lot of the players have talked about how even though BYU's not in the Mountain West Conference, they treat this as important as a Mountain West Conference game. They don't see it as not as meaningful as the other games they play in conference. This is a game that they, they care about immensely. Gary Anderson's talked about how much beating BYU mattered when he first got to Utah State and then how much it continues to matter now. And so I think the fact that Utah State has won two in a row, they're especially keen on not losing again. I know – Quarterback Jordan Love talked about at the beginning of the year just how much it would mean to him to be able to beat BYU three times in a row. Like that would just it would mean the world to him. It'd mean the world to Utah State. They they really, really care about beating BYU. Yeah, this rivalry being an in state specific rivalry, what are some of the similarities uh, with recruiting and with what these two teams are trying to establish that they share uh, before we talk about like the differences and how they've gone through, Jay? Yeah, I mean, I think recently it they've become uh, this recruiting has been a big deal in this rivalry. Uh, back in the day, BYU pretty much got any in-state kid it wanted, and then Utah got an invite to the Pac-12, and that changed the dynamic quite a bit. And then Gary Anderson came along to Utah State and started to recruit more in-state kids, where past coaching staffs at Utah State went elsewhere. And so that added to the competition for in-state recruits. And then 
Uh, I mean, let's face it, BYU's recruiting pool is quite shallow. So when they identify a kid that can fit in at BYU, they have to go after him. And Utah State has come along and kind of gone after those same kids uh, with with fewer academic restrictions. So um, that makes it doubly tough for BYU um, to get kids in there. And then also that they lose kids that are that are already in the program that can't maybe cut cut it academically. So, uh, yeah, that all plays into it. It's uh, it's huge as far as in-state recruiting goes um, to to win this game and to be able to go to recruits and say, hey, we're successful and we're on the way up and the program's headed in the right direction. And I, I think that's what Gary Anderson was able to do to to lure a couple of those kids away from BYU that maybe they would have gotten in the past. And are the kids themselves aware of what what this rivalry means? Like if, when you talk, again, when you're doing your interviews, when you talk to the players, do they know what the wagon wheel is? You know, here on the Cougar Tailgate, we try to talk about like the weird traditions and like the fan interaction of college football. But sometimes I forget that the players are just so into it and just focused on the game that sometimes they miss out on that. Um are these rivalries kind of above, like, do they get that attention from the players when you talk to them? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows what the wagon wheel is <laughs> now. Uh, that might not have been the case, you know, years ago when, when it sat in BYU's closet for whatever it was, you know, 15 years or however many times in a row they had won. Um, but, uh, oh, for sure now. It's a, it's a, a big deal. It's uh, can come to symbolize the rivalry and – Whichever team wins the wagon wheel, they parade it around, uh, rub it in the other team's face. You know, I still remember uh, a couple years ago when when Utah won it, State won it back. Um, they ran over and grabbed the wagon wheel before they even came over to shake hands with BYU or congratulate Ooh. them on the game. They every every player on the team ran over to to get the wagon wheel. So, yeah, it's a it's a huge deal. And from Utah State as well, then I take it they they know what's going on as well. Oh yeah, they do. <laughs> it, it's interesting. About a fifth of their or a quarter of the team is actually from out of state, from California and or Florida. So a lot of them had no idea what the rivalry was. But then you talk to them now after they've been there, and they care about the wagon wheel as much as any Utah does. They want to win it, and they want to be able to parade it about. So they definitely are well aware of what it is and what it means. That's all right. Rivalries are good for college football. I love talking about them. So before I let the two of you go, um, what are just some final words about the rivalry and what you think we're going to see later on tonight? Um, Trent, you go first. I mean, this game is important. It's important to Utah State. They care about it, especially coming off the loss they just had to Air Force. Winning this game would be huge for their momentum of the season, similar to how Jay talked about BYU fighting for bowl eligibility. Utah State's fighting for bowl eligibility, and a win against BYU would go a long way to make that a a realistic achievement. It's all going to come down for Utah State if their offense can perform. If they can't, then this is probably a game they're not going to win. If their offense takes a step forward, then I think they can defend Maverick Stadium and beat BYU. I think that's what it comes down to. All right. And, Jay, what do you hope to see? Yeah, I I think uh, this is huge for BYU in that they've got a lot of momentum going. They've kind of won back some of their fans with their win over Boise State. And so they're basically putting that all back out on the line, Um, all that goodwill that they've kind of garnered and made people forget about the two losses uh, to Toledo and South Florida. 
And uh, they can kind of give that all back if they can't pull off another win. Um, Utah State's favored in this game, but a lot of BYU fans still expect maybe going off the pass too much that BYU should win this game. And so uh, BYU has a lot to lose tonight. Um, they've, uh, and that's kind of whenever they do play Utah State, that they put, put it out there because of uh, reputation, maybe national profile or whatever, that rarely do they have more to gain than they have to lose in this game. And that's really a reason that Utah won't even play Utah State anymore is because uh, there's there's not a lot to win, gain, but there's an awful lot to lose. So um, kudos for to BYU for continuing to play this game, to agreeing to a home-and-home home with Utah State now for the last several years. And uh, and now's their time to, to go up and, and continue their momentum. But they'll have to play near flawless football to win. Um, they haven't, they've been able to do that a couple times. They've been wildly inconsistent. But uh, I think we'll see a much different Utah State team than we saw last week at Air Force. It's a totally different beast, as Kalani Stocky said. So a uh, lot on the line tonight, and it should be a fun one. And, Jay, just you reminded me of one last question I want to get in before you go. What's one of your favorite memories in all the years you've covered BYU and, and this rivalry? What's one of your memories that sticks out between these two teams and their games that they've played? Yeah, I've been covering the Cougars since 2008. I would have to say uh, there was a game where uh, Utah State had the game well in hand, looked like they were cruising to a victory in Provo, and BYU put in Riley Nelson, ironically was a transfer from Utah State. From Utah State, State yeah. Uh, grew up, went to Logan High. <laughs> he came in and uh, and made some miracle plays, and, and B- I think BYU pulled it out. So that. That just kind of stands out as uh, one of the more memorable games, at least from a, a BYU perspective. We're all right having that BYU that perspective here on BYU sure. Radio. All right, thank you, fellas. Jay Drew covers BYU sports at the Deseret News, and Trent Wood covers Utah State at the Deseret News. You can check out their fine work in print at Deseret.com. Coming up here on the Cougar Tailgate, we take a closer look at some of the weirder rivalry traditions across college football. Don't miss it. BYU plays Utah State tonight, starting at 8 p.m. Mountain Time. Don't miss it. And when the guys suit up, they'll be laying it all on the line for pride, for the record, and for an old rotten wagon wheel. But that's not even close to the weirdest trophy to change hands over a football game. Producer Jack is here to teach us all a little about what rivalries are really out there playing for. brown jug, Paul Bunyan's axe, an iron skillet, a golden egg, a keg of nails, and the Oka Fanoki ore. In the world of college football, these are all trophies. Maybe not your typical little gold cup or nicely polished wooden plaque that goes in a glass trophy case with all the other little gold cups and plaques, but trophies nonetheless. And let's be honest with ourselves, who wants a little gold cup that's just going to sit in your trophy case and collect dust until the end of time? 
when you could have a six-foot axe to hang on your wall. I think we can all agree the latter is a better conversation starter. So, in lieu of the big-time showdown for the old wagon wheel, let's take a look at the best rivalry trophies in college football and the fun, interesting, and sometimes borderline crazy stories that brought these trophies into existence. Let's start by taking a trip over to the heartland of America. Back in 1934, the University of Iowa had a running back by the name of Ozzie Smith, one of only a few black players in the conference at the time. During the 1934 showdown with the Gophers of Minnesota, Iowa took a special dislike to the Gophers' treatment of Smith. It's actually rumored that Smith was knocked unconscious three times during the game due to post-play hits and dead ball pileups. Well, Iowa's governor was understandably a bit upset and warned the Minnesota team before the 1935 game that this kind of bad behavior would not be tolerated. This, of course, created a bit of tension that needed to be alleviated, and what better way to relieve some tension than a good old-fashioned friendly bet? And the wager for a bet in 1935 was a prize hog, of course. To make a long story short, the Gophers won the game, and Iowa's governor did what any respectful person should do and honored his side of the bet. A beautiful prize hog by the name of Floyd was delivered to Minnesota's governor after the game. The current trophy today, unfortunately, isn't a live hog, but instead has been replaced by a 100-pound brass replica sculpture of Floyd that is retained by the winner each season. Now we'll head out to the West Coast, where the Beavers of Oregon State take on the Ducks of Oregon in an in-state battle dubbed the Civil War. In 1959, a University of Oregon staffer won a more-than-ordinary trophy for what is certainly a more-than-ordinary game each year. So he decided to make a mascot-inspired trophy. What do you get when you mix a beaver and a duck? A platypus. Sadly, the beautifully carved maple platypus was repeatedly stolen in those early years and actually got lost for about 20 years until William Spady, the artist who carved the platypus, saw it in the trophy case at Oregon's pool in 1986. Spady was unable to reacquire the trophy to be used again in football games, and it looked like it may be doomed to collect dust with all those gold cups. But thankfully, this story does get its happy ending. Campus renovations got the platypus out of that dreadful glass case, and it was rediscovered in a random closet on campus in 2005. It was restored, and by 2007, it was given out again after that year's civil war. The platypus lives on. The next tradition involves two schools you've probably never heard of, Division III rivals Concordia and St. Olaf. When St. Olaf rejoined the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference in the 1970s, Concordia wanted a unique way to welcome them back. And unique may be an understatement for this trophy. Both schools have Norwegian heritage, so they decided to use Norse mythology as the inspiration for the trophy. They found a local Scandinavian-themed store where they purchased the perfect Norwegian-themed trophy, a troll. But not just any troll. A troll made of pine cones and moss found in the mountains near Lillehammer, Norway. Not surprisingly, this troll has gotten lots of attention and was dubbed the ugliest rivalry trophy in college football by the hosts of ESPN Game Day. Maybe the real winner of this rivalry is the team that doesn't have to take the trophy home. Well, I could go on all day about the different rivalry trophies in the tradition-rich sport of college football, but as all Cougar fans know, the only one that matters this week is the old wagon wheel. While the Wagon Wheel is a nice-looking trophy wherever it goes, it sure does look a heck of a lot better sitting down here in Provo than it does sitting up there in Logan. It's time to bring her home. Thank you, Producer Jack, for bringing us a little bit more information on some of the college football rivalry trophies you might or might not have heard of before. 
Uh, Terry is in the studio as he is every single week. Terry, what is your favorite college football rivalry? I don't know if I have one. Nope. Bad answer. I know. I mean, it used to be the BYU-Utah rivalry, but that seems to have fallen to the wayside a little bit. Yeah, I get it. Uh, Some team keeps losing, and um, it seems like people involved in the rivalry that are administrators seem to be less and less interested now they give out the proper less and less feisty too. well it just feels like there's there there was an edge to it before and and then uh what was it bronco mendenhall started talking about how people just people just there's too much we need to back up and just really take uh more of a a calmer approach to the rivalry and i'm like and they did do you think ohio state and michigan are trying to tone the rivalry down (laughs) i think they're trying to profit off the rivalry you don't get called the game yeah for nothing and and it's it's things like that where we are the Utah and BYU have tried to tone it down so much. I think they've turned it into uh, like lukewarm soup. Yeah, and there's one of those teams kind of boring that keeps losing that could yeah. use a well, little that, energy that, and that also pep. helps. That also helps. Is one side is it's very one sided at the moment. Oh. Ohio State Michigan's interesting. Um, I think it gets played up more for, but I'm just looking at it from the outside, obviously. Yeah. Um. The Texas rivalries. I mean, Texas te- Texas A&M wanted to get away from Texas so much they went to the SEC. Which is weird. Texas schools shouldn't be in the Texas conference, they were whether it's off. Southwest or Big yeah. 12 or Big whatever. Texas A&M wanted to get away from Texas because every decision they made had to be approved by Texas because they controlled the board of regents that ran all the, the Texas colleges. Mm-hmm. And they're like, forget this. So they went to, they went to the SEC to get away from them. Um, and I guess they've started up playing again possibly so Maybe. we'll see how that goes uh, but texas usually it's oklahoma's their big rival that's red for, river right right you ask me any question about geography or mm. what the state nickname is of a of a state in the united states and i will default to my college football knowledge to give right. you that answer ohio is the buckeye state there you go because they're the ohio state buckeyes the river that runs between texas and oklahoma that's the red river mm-hmm. because the red river rivalry is between ut and oklahoma there you go the uh, the Florida schools used to be interesting. Oh, see, so that's you've hit my favorite. Growing would, up in the nineties, yeah. the Miami FSU game was well, always it, decided by a field goal. For, yeah. It was always fun. It was always prime time. For a few years, the triad with Florida, Florida State, Miami uh-huh. actually was good. And because most of those guys know each other, it would turn into a brawl. You could always get like just a real quick fight. If you want to just get a pregame little rumble going on, yeah, that was kind of interesting. That's where you could rely on it happening. Yeah. Because Miami had that feist. They what, had I, that what, I, what I don't like is Notre Dame. Do they have? Notre what's, Dame what's has USC. Eh. They claim like Michigan. Eh. They claim rivalries with all like the armed force academies. Eh. Armed forces. And it's they like. Mich- they play Michigan State every year too. That too. Eh. And after a while you're like, it's like once a, once a decade you guys are good. Right. So but it just seems like there's a lot to it because they have all this history, which is great. Yeah. But nothing like in the present that you really can put your foot on say, or your finger on and say, this is this is why they're good. Well, and see, you and even those rivalry games really aren't. I mean, great. They're playing USC. That's touched wonderful. on it is that nothing recently really gives you that energy that it seems like rivalries used to have. Mm-hmm. I, even just in the past, like five years of college football, when I first came to BYU, 
during Rivalry Week, during yeah, Utah Rivalry there Week. There you go. There we go. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. That's it. During Utah and Utah State, we would put cellophane around all the statues. Right. Not because we were – so when I first came, I thought it was a prank that someone from Utah came down and cellophane the statue. No, we, we did it as a preventative measure. Yes. Because they were coming down and defacing, spray painting right. uh, some of the statues on campus. You don't see that anymore. But you I don't think, see that I, like I think the interest misdemeanor. is kind of dissolved and people are like, yeah, I'm not driving to Provo. It's 45 minutes down the freeway to get down there to commit a petty crime. I can do that. <laughs> but that's what, that's what used to make rivalries, you know, slightly right. illegal. And fun. Slightly illegal. They were illegal. <laughs> it was petty, but it was fine. It was misdemeanor stuff, I guess. But It got now, fans interested, at least. The uh, There's lots of, of, I think people want a rival. Yeah. You know, like uh, the Pac-12 has tried to manufacture rivals. Oh, goodness. When they added Utah and Colorado, they called them the Rocky, the Rumble in the Rockies, or that was one of the, I think they've changed <laughs> the name from that, right? Because they're just trying to get something to stick. And it's like, nobody cares about Colorado. I mean, it's fine. They're another team on the schedule, but they there's no history. You got to have some... Yeah, that's what it is. It made sense, right? You have all these PAC schools. They're all on the Pacific right. Coast. You add in these two Rocky Mountain schools at the same time. They're going to play in the same division. They're going to play every year. Let's make a rivalry. But just like a good nickname, just like a good anything, you can't... You can't force it. You can't force it. It has to happen. Yeah. They have to. There has to be some big moment that causes the the that game to be something like they're trying to create a rivalry with uh, Boise State and BYU, and you know, okay, back and forth, great. But I mean, and the schedule makers put it on the schedule every and year, and it's on okay, the schedule. Cool. It'll, it'll eventually turn into something, but a rivalry? Who knows? That needs to happen naturally. Someone's got to really punch someone in post game of a double or, overtime. <laughs> like the thing I always remember with Utah and BYU is you, they're in the WAC or the Mountain West. You get to the final game of the season, whatever the outcome of that game is, determines your postseason. Yeah. Right. And so both teams had bowl games, and if someone won, you just ruin the other guy's season. And that's what it's about. That's what the rivalry is. And we're mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna we're gonna best you somehow. Ohio State, Michigan. That's who's going to the Rose Bowl there a lot go. of those years through the eighties and nineties. And then it, it turns into the, the now because all those rivalries get marketed so well, mm-hmm. they're like, let's just make it happen. And it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> it looks manufactured and it feels fake. You want to hear my favorite manufactured rivalry? And yes. it has to do with the school we're playing today. Oh. Bridger's battle. You know uh, which two schools fight for Bridger's gun? That'd be Jim Bridger. Br- uh, yeah. The yeah. trapper. Hey, yeah. I didn't know I was talking to a Utah history buff. Not really. I went to like <laughs> Cub Country and they had a uh, <laughs> had a thing there. Um, it'd probably be, well, I mean, obviously you said Utah State, but yes. I have no idea who their rival would be. Starting in 2013, a historic series between mm. Utah State and Wyoming. Okay. They fight and pronounce it again. Was I saying it wrong? What? Jim. Jim Bridger. Bridger. All right. So Bridger's battle. The winner of the annual contest takes home the traveling Bridger rifle, a 50 caliber Rocky Mountain Hawken rifle. So they just. That was popular among mountain men. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm not sure if it's loaded. Yeah. And if you do, it's got to be black powder, right? Because that's what they shot. Got to be. Apparently, they etch the winner's name into the stock okay. of the rifle. Okay. It's it, a cool, like, as far as manufactured goes. See, it's Minnesota and um, who is it? I mean, a lot of those Big Ten schools 
got goofy ones. I forget Minnesota and somebody play for Paul Bunyan's axe. Yep. There's a little brown jug that little gets passed around. Little brown jug that gets passed there. around. I don't know. And you'll see them. It's like Indiana comes in and there's some weird rivalry they've had for 20 years that nobody cares about. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I don't know. And, and I guess tradition has one. There's a wagon wheel here for Utah State and BYU. Oh, yeah. Right. And then, and then there's a boot, I think, in, foot, in basketball for some reason. There's a boot that travels around between the beehive. Schools. Pioneer boot, I guess thing. it. I don't know. <laughs> it's like before the game, you have to you have to give a bunch of instruction to the players so they know what the, what this is because at the end they're going to present them with something. Yeah, and, and then a bunch walk, of media members. Yeah, they're going to be asking us. questions. Yeah, and they they walk up and hand you a wagon wheel. The player better know what that means. Oh, uh, thanks. What is this? You know, it's like nobody cares. These two, so Utah State and Wyoming, they're two land-grant institutions. If you want to see a picture of the dumbest-looking trophy, the Penn State and Michigan State, who played just last week in in college football, play for the land-grant trophy. They are the the first two schools in the United States that were given land-grant status as universities. It's a thing. Anyway, their trophy is just the ugliest-looking thing. It's a big – it's a brown just piece of wood – with a bunch of stuff glued on right. randomly. Originally, huh. it was supposed to look good, but now it looks kind of like a joke. Yeah. Uh, and that's the Land Grant Trophy. Does, does Penn State and Pittsburgh have any sort of a... They have a rivalry. I don't know if they passed Because Pittsburgh's something. big rivalry is the backyard brawl with, with West, West Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. And that's... that's more proximity, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. They're closer. All kinds of rivalries, Terry. And as you mentioned, the old wagon wheel is going to exchange hands tonight. The game is at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, which is 10 p.m. Eastern, which is 7 p.m. Pacific. Also, don't forget Daylight Savings Time happens probably maybe before the game even ends. We'll still be doing post-game here on the radio when the time change hits. So watch your clocks. Don't miss the game. It's going to be a fun rivalry. We're going to be back with one more segment of the Cougar Tailgate. Uh, Basketball happened yesterday. Let's dip our toes into that when we come back. into the Cougar Tailgate. I had a blast today talking rivalries. BYU is 1-1 one and one against the rivals so far this season, so I figured tonight's a sort of rubber match. Let's see which way things go for the year. Looking ahead on the schedule, BYU has a fellow independent coming to Provo next week. It's the Liberty Flames. As fun as it was early in the season to talk about the rich history of USC or Washington, I am really going to enjoy learning about an FBS school that I know just very, very little about. I know that they are the Flames. And I'll have a little more information than that to educate the folks on with next week. But football only has five more games, including tonight. And then six, if we're still assuming bowl eligibility, which I am. Looking forward to that special Christmas Eve edition of the tailgate. There will be life after football on the program, though. BYU basketball is looking forward to a new season with a brand new coach, and the guys got onto the court last night for a little exhibition. It's always good to get in some practice against fellows you don't have math class with the next day. BYU saw triple digits by the end of the night, beating UT Tyler's squad 100-58. to 
I don't know what we actually learn from these preseason games, except that the regular season is coming up fast. And y'all can know that we will share the action, the destinations, and the opponents of BYU basketball every week, just like we have alongside the football schedule this year. But football's got a solid month to go and a wagon wheel to earn tonight. I'll be watching the game, and I hope you will too. Then let's plan to get together next Saturday and talk about it. Cougar Tailgate airs every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 Pacific, or anytime you want it to air when you download it on a podcast. Email the show if you have a great fan story that you want to share or something you want to know about Liberty next week or something you want to hear during basketball season even. I love hearing your comments. Our email is cougartailgate at gmail.com. That's T-A-I-L-gate at gmail.com. My name is Cole Wissinger. Thanks again to Jay Drew and Trent Wood, both of the Deseret News, for coming on the show today. And always to our producer, Terry South, every week, and newcomer Jack Bagley contributing today. We are a production of BYU Radio. Go Cougs! Go Cougs!